Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Integrity First Insurance, provider of Erie Insurance for all your auto, home, life, and business insurance needs. More information at 812-269-8897 or integrityfirstinsuranceservices.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Salzberg, co-hosting today with Benta Boutier, our uh, producer, our normal producer. We're talking with our guests about Americans' declining attachment to religion and how it influences our lives. We have three guests with us today. Greg Smith is Associate Director of Research at the Pew Research Institute. Michael Hout is a professor of sociology, the director of the Center for Advanced Social Science Research at New York University. He's also a principal investigator on the General Social Survey. And Clarence Boone is joining us. He is a pastor at the Lighthouse Community Church here in Monroe County. If you have questions or comments, you can follow us on Twitter and contact us there at Noon Edition. You can use the email address, news at, public, uh, news at indianapublicmedia.org. We're still doing the show remotely, so you can't call us in. We're hoping to get back in the studio early in 2022. Well, thank you all for being here with us today. It's a, a really interesting topic, um, a lot of different directions we can go with it. I want to start with Greg Smith from the the uh, Pew Research Institute. Um can you just explain what your research has shown in terms of religious affiliations in the last uh, the last survey that you did? Sure. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation today. Um, you know, when I look at the data about trends in American religion, there's a lot happening. There's a lot that's changing. Um, and I think probably the place to start is changes in the way people identify themselves religiously. We are seeing that the share of Americans who describe themselves as Christians, as Protestants, Catholics, uh, as other kinds of Christians, that, that number is declining noticeably and, and I would say pretty rapidly at this point. Uh, the number of people who, who describe the, the share of people who describe themselves as belonging to non-Christian faiths, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, many others, um, is more stable, perhaps ticking upwards in the neighborhood of five, six, seven percentage points today. Um, and meanwhile, while Christianity is declining as a share of the U.S. population, the group that's really growing is people who say they have no religious affiliation at all. Um, in our surveys, these are people who describe themselves religiously as either atheist or agnostic, or there's a big group of people who say they are simply nothing in particular with respect to religion. Um, in our most recent data, those those people, that group, which we sometimes call the religious nuns, that's nuns, N-O-N-E-S, very important to get the spelling right. Religious nuns are now approaching three and three and 10, nearly 30% of U.S. adults now say they have no religion. So as kind of a starting point, those are the big trends that, um, that jump out at me from the data. Mike Howard, are those the same kinds of things that you're seeing? And can you attribute that to anything? Uh Absolutely. Greg and I uh, agree on the basic facts, I, I think, right down the line, even though they're based in different methods of data collection, it, it all looks very, very much the same. Uh, early on in the trend, as it went up from 7% with no religion to about 20%, politics was a big part of that. I think that people who had a glancing or tenuous attachment to what was a religion that had taken a conservative political stance, uh, distanced themselves by that by no longer voicing that. So people who had been raised Catholic, for example, quit saying they were Catholic and 
especially people who were uh, from Baptist and other conservative Protestant traditions were increasingly likely to say they had no attachment to religion if they were politically liberal. If they were politically conservative, they doubled down on that, uh, on both of those identifications. But since then, it's mostly been generational replacement. Younger people are less attached to religion, regardless of what their own personal religious background was. Clarence Boone, are you seeing that at Lighthouse Community Church, especially uh, what Mike Hout just said about younger people? Are you able to keep your congregation at roughly the same size? Are you growing, declining? Well, first, I want to thank you for the invitation, uh, and Bob, and, and I need to have a point of clarification uh, so as not to get ousted from my church. I must say that I am not the pastor, but the assistant pastor, and that's a position that I won't presume to try to hold right now, but I can speak from my experiences. I've been affiliated with our church for 40 years, well, going on 40 years. And, and to your point, um, as far as trends that we're seeing, Yes, it is, it is more difficult to attract, and not only attract, but to keep the youth. Uh, I think youth everywhere are sort of going through uh, this sort of, I would hope, self-introspection to ask questions such as how relevant is church to me. Um, many of them are tuning out, if you will, uh, because there are other distractions out there. This is truly the me generation that we're seeing a lot of self-centeredness, unfortunately. Um, and I think that's borne out with just how expressive some young people are. They're searching right now. And what used to be the safe harbor of the church, um, other things are taking their, their attention. And I think someone mentioned something earlier about um, just the trends they saw uh, with conservatism sort of um, really being married to uh, the uh, churches. In, in my in my experiences, and I'm not saying that our church is a black church. I, I hate I hate that moniker. Uh, we are we are Christ Church, uh, but nevertheless, uh, we do have a sizable number of African Americans. Um, typically, in those uh, communities where you do see large African Americans at a church, they tend not to embrace uh, ultra conservatism, but are more. I'd say liberal and independent in, in their political expression. And I know what eventually we'll get into perhaps a discussion on how politics has, has really crept into the church and has sort of made things uh, more than a little uncomfortable. And um, Greg, I've seen a few articles put out by Pew Research Center about how spirituality is increasing among younger generations, even as affiliation with a specific religious institute is declining. Can you explain a little bit more about what that looks like and how you're tracking that? Yes, I would say, I would say yes and no. Um, yes, in the sense that we have picked up on a few indicators over the years uh, that, th that the population um, not just young people, but the population writ large, um, may be growing, may be growing more spiritual in some ways, even as they become less religious. In particular, the finding that I remember from a few years back is that we found um, modest but noticeable increases in the number of Americans who say they, they, have, they have recently felt a deep sense of spiritual peace or well-being, or that they have recently experienced a deep sense of wonder about uh, about the universe. So, so there are some indications um, like that. However, I would also say it's really, I think it's really important to um, be clear and to understand that it's not the case that people who are 
religious nuns, religiously unaffiliated. It's not the case that young people who have distanced themselves from traditional forms of religion have simply replaced it with alternative forms of spirituality. We really, we, we really don't see that. You know, young people in the data that I've seen are not especially more likely than older people to say, for example, that they are spiritual but not religious. They are not especially more likely than older people to say they hold certain kinds of new age beliefs, whether we're thinking about um, things like um, uh, belief in astrology or the belief that spiritual energy can be found in, in natural objects like mountains, trees, and crystals. I mean, there are young people who hold those views, but not necessarily at higher rates than, um, than older people. So I think that's a temptation that we really have to avoid. I do think there can be a temptation to assume that the declines in religiosity we see aren't really declines. Rather, they're, they're just replacements. People are just replacing older, more traditional forms of religious observance with newer, what you might think of as alternative forms of spirituality. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't see a lot of evidence for that in the data. Okay, but these aren't people who are taking a hard line, um, maybe atheist st standpoint. You're not seeing that rise dramatically, are you? Well, I mean, a lot of the growth of the nuns is not concentrated among atheists or agnostics. A lot of a lot of nuns are are people who don't take that kind of firm position, that firm identity. Rather, they say they are simply nothing in particular religiously, which doesn't necessarily mean they're anti-religion. That said, the share of Americans who identify as atheists or agnostics um, certainly is rising. That's that's also happening. Both things are occurring. We are talking about religion today on Noon Edition. If you have any questions or comments, please send them to news, send them to news at indianapublicmedia.org. We're also on Twitter at Noon Edition, so you can find us there as well. I wanted to ask about, you know, we, we have we are in a, a very divisive place right now when it comes to all sorts of things that have to do with politics. I want to talk specifically about, about COVID-19 and, and vaccinations. And I know there's been some research done on how um, prevalent it is that, um, that people are speaking about it, that, that religious leaders are speaking about it. And I should apologize now to uh, Assistant Pastor Clarence Boone. Thank you for that clarification. But I want to ask... Um, Thank you for the <laughs> Sure. I want to ask Clarence Boone and, and also the, the other two of you about this. Um, Clarence, do you talk about um, getting vaccinated, the importance of getting vaccinated, talk about COVID-19 in the church setting? Well, um, that is a critical discussion point, and especially if you even go back further when we were all asked to sort of sequester in place and there were protocols for all gatherings in public, and there were there was lots of discussion about well, then how do people of faith uh, worship? Uh, exercise their faith in sort of corporate setting. Um, and, and to the rescue came what we are using today, the Zoom technology and other uh, platforms such as Zoom, uh, where we could stream the messages. And now the challenge that churches face, uh, one was how do you be, how do you sustain uh, not only the membership, uh, but also levels of giving and support for the church? and still try to maintain um, observance or uh, adhering to the mandates that have been going forward. That has been a challenge. I, we probably have heard churches and I know of churches that have completely shut down and, and some are still really have, they have a modified worship experience because of COVID. Then you go to the pulpit where uh, a lot of people look to in times of uh, troubling times like this, you know, what is my pastor or elder or leader uh, saying um, for us to, to sort of take heed to or to, to season uh, when we make a decision? It's every person's decision 
to whether or not get vaccinated. Now, the science, uh, some say, well, science should be kept separate from religion because we're all faith-based. That's a two or three hour show right there. Um, but I will say that many churches have wrestled with that message. I, I think the wisest thing to do in those cases is, yes, you have to look at science um, because it's, it's the rationale that, look, before my kids could go to public school, they had to be vaccinated in all kinds of ways. Uh, they had to demonstrate and prove that they were vaccinated. And science has shown that the vaccinations, um, you know, at the, the small insignificant levels that some may have uh, some type of a reaction that's at, adverse, it, it really does not uh, bring about the fear factor that a lot of people have held to. Um, and then people say, well, I'm not exercising my faith if I, if I get vaccinated. Well, the Lord gave us wisdom. And again, this is a personal issue that every person has to make up their decision about. But I have known people of faith that have gotten extremely sick. And yes, I've known people of faith that have departed, I think, before their time. So we, we have to be very careful, especially those who have pre-existing situations that can put them at great risk. And then the elderly. And I know pastors who have exercised tremendous wisdom and not meeting in person under a roof, but have met in the parking lot or have streamed and had a combination of different alternate ways to visit. This has also been a divisive uh, set of situations. This pandemic has turned our country upside down as well as the world. Um, and we talked about politics earlier, but for the church, I think the church has struggled collectively and individually. Some communities within the church community have uh, have still pressed on and done so very wisely and very carefully, putting all the protocols in place as far as distancing, sanitizing, wearing masks, taking temperatures, um, and encouraging some members to strongly consider getting vaccinated. I don't have the answer for every church. Um, just ask that you pray and take God's guidance in how you lead the flock of God. I want to turn to our researchers, uh, Mike Hout from NYU first, and then Greg Smith from um, from the Pew Research Institute. How does uh, Assistant Pastor Boone's experience, how does that um, coincide or not with the research that you've seen? Yeah, I, I I really appreciate his reflections and it, it the the emphasis on COVID as a, a and vaccination as a an individual decision. You know, the the church has had a long historical role of providing a collectivist message for Americans to help them get up and above thinking just about their own selfish interests and think about their communities. And you know, since the 70s, most American institutions have been under a lot of scrutiny and people have been told to think for themselves, choose for yourself. And we valorize individual choice in a lot of ways in this society. But it puts a lot of burden on individuals. You know, it starts, you want a pension plan? Start a 401k. It used to be a much more collective enterprise provided by an employer and Social Security was more generous relative to people's standard of living. Um, now it's 401k or nothing. Um, and uh, then we turn around and tell them, what are the answers to the meaning of life? Well, we can't trust the churches. We can't trust the schools. You're going to figure it out yourself. Instead of standing on top of several thousand years worth of tradition, just figure it out. And I think that that's a huge burden. And now they have to figure out fancy vaccine science, too, and recognize on their own that uh, vaccination isn't just about them and their own body. It's about the, the health of the community, that if we're all vaccinated, we're all safer. And it's just a big burden. The, uh, the scrutiny on institutions was well-deserved. Institutions brought it on themselves. But on the other hand, uh, it has um, left individuals with a lot of really hard questions to answer for themselves. Greg Smith, what's the uh, Pew Research show? Yeah, the uh, it's it's um, it's really it's really fascinating to hear about and think about um, 
kind of what's happening on the ground in congregations. We recently did a study where we asked people who attend religious services whether or not they've heard their clergy say anything one way or the other about getting vaccinated. Have they encouraged congregants to get vaccinated? Have they discouraged it? Have they not really said much at all? And the findings I thought were really interesting. First of all, there's far more people who say their clergy have encouraged vaccination than there are who've discouraged it. Um, In fact, about four in 10 Americans who attend religious services say they've heard their clergy encourage people to get vaccinated, and only about 5% say they've heard their clergy discourage vaccination. So far more encouragement than discouragement. However, that also means that there's a big chunk of people, about half of people who attend religious services regularly, say they've heard nothing at all. Uh, from their clergy about uh, one way or the other about whether or not to get vaccinated. Um, There are big differences across religious traditions. Um, um, Adherents of the historically black Protestant tradition are the most likely in the survey we conducted to say their clergy have encouraged people to get vaccinated. In fact, about two thirds of those in the historically black Protestant tradition say their clergy have encouraged vaccination. At the other end of the spectrum, members of evangelical churches, uh, very few, just 21% say their clergy have encouraged vaccination. So there are big differences across groups. The other thing I would point out, the last thing I would point out, and I need to be careful here because I, I, I don't mean to imply anything about causality. But there is definitely a correlation in the data between having heard uh, clergy encourage vaccination and having gotten vaccinated. That is to say, in our survey, respondents who say their clergy have encouraged vaccination are far more likely to say they've actually been vaccinated themselves as compared with people who say their clergy haven't said much about it one way or the other. Again, I I can't say that encouragement by clergy is causing people to get vaccinated. It could just as easily be that the kinds of people who are likely to get vaccinated are the same kinds of people who are likely to attend congregations where the clergy would encourage that. Um, Still, the link is there and it's very striking. Clarence Boone is is with us and he is representative of uh, a black church, not, you know, a, a, a Christ church, I should say. But as you said, you, you have a lot of um, you would probably fall under the definition that, that Greg Smith mentioned as as a predominantly black church. Does that number surprise you? And why do you think that that um, the, that those churches are more inclined to encourage vaccination than perhaps an evangelical church? Um, I would not see. I'm totally shocked by it. Um, as research has shown and history has shown, the black church has really been the voice of black people, especially back in um, civil rights times and leading up to the point of active civil rights protest. When Jim Crow was at its peak, church was looked to for not only safe haven, but for guidance, um, really keeping people um, that influence has sort of sort of waned off with the decades, the passage of decades until now. Uh, we, like other churches, uh, mainstream, whatever, we see you know, individuals trying to take in as much information as they can. And, and, and let me let me explain what I'm saying here. Uh, we are free will free will moral agents, and, and we are, are encouraged to take in information and make rational decisions. I think the Word of God endorses that. Um, we don't, we don't, at least I don't, and I know others don't blindly listen to a leader and just, you know, follow through, especially in this day and age where there's information a fingertip away. You know, we can do our own research, and we do that. Um, I, I think... What has happened is that a lot of individuals in, in the black church community have been labeled as perhaps um, uh, old, just like lemming, because you may have examples of some spiritual leaders that tell their, their membership don't get vaccinated, it's this, it's that, and they 
bring back to memory the Tuskegee experiments and other experiments that have um, put the black community in jeopardy. Um, and people have been leery about it. And so we saw a big effort uh, about a year ago where they were encouraging the pastors and elders to, to do community outreach to encourage members of the black community, not just their organization or their church, to get vaccinated. Now, earlier we talked about how the media can kind of impact um, how the church functions. Sometimes when you when the media points out examples of the extreme where you have video of, of, of pastors just proclaiming uh, this is all a hoax, this is that and the other, not, not just black but mainstream, it makes it difficult for members to make rational decisions, wise decisions. And again, you know, if you may feel that, well, I don't need to be vaccinated, but you could be a carrier and then pass it on to someone else. And most black churches have a lot of aging members, and we have to make sure their their health is is protected. Um, we've all in this lifetime we've never lived through a pandemic like this. This is new to a lot of us. But what would help, as far as the media, is that if we got a clear, consistent message as far as uh, what needs to take place to the best safeguard your health, we're getting mixed messages all across the board. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of things that have been stirred into this soup that has both served to confuse and to divide. Right. Um, and going off that, you know, we brought up a little bit before the show, and I know that Greg, you mentioned you wanted to get to this. So can we talk a little bit about what you feel maybe media gets wrong and right in its coverage of religion in society today? Well, uh, we can, but I think it was actually Professor Hout who wanted to discuss that. So uh, I'll I'll, I'll defer to him on this one. Okay. Thanks, Greg. Sorry. Uh, That's okay. We we were talking over the symphony there at the end. It was kind of loud. The point I wanted to make is that, yeah, we, we often... We're siloed in a lot of things we do in this uh, society, and one of the things that happens is we tend to think of trends as being isolated from one another, too. And so when we look at detachment from organized religion, we think the causes and the consequences have to be within the religious sphere. But if we look across the board at people born uh, in the 1980s and more recently, so basically adults under 30, um, we find detachment from all kinds of institutions. They're, they're, they're more weakly attached to politics than, uh, than previous generations were in that period of, uh, of their 20s and 30s. They are marrying later, if at all. They're having children later, if at all. And um, it, it is a, um, a, a society-wide or a, a social worldwide detachment, not just a story about religion. And I think that that's the big challenge for social science is to integrate uh, those various signals and figure out a coherent story to it. Um, I'm not saying we've done that yet, but I'm I'm calling on all of us to think about how this might be a, um, a a bigger story than just a religion story, big as it is about religion. This is a this is a major social trend, but it's not isolated to the religious sphere. Yeah, but um, following up on that, uh, it's also we've seen, I think, that more people, well, not more people, but people are still attaching themselves at the same rate as maybe in the 80s, to a strong affiliation. That hasn't decreased as far as religion. Um, That's right, yeah. So that the polarization we see in other spheres, income and politics in particular, is also visited on religion. So that um, what goes away are the people with the monthly attachment or the Christmas and Easter, the Christian attachment, so that... It, it becomes all or nothing at all, so that people's religious uh, uh, people with a strong religious attachment don't lose it, but the ones who have a passing 
occasional interest are now um, drifting one way or the other. They're, they're having to choose. They either strengthen or weaken, but they can't stand in the middle. I'm going to give our contact information again. If you have a question or a comment about uh, the world of religion today, you can send it to us uh, on Twitter at Noon Edition. You can send it by email, news at indianapublicmedia.org. We're talking with three people today. We have Greg Smith, Associate Director of Research at the Pew Research Institute, we have assistant pastor at Lighthouse Community Church, Clarence Boone, and we have Michael Hout, a professor of sociology, director of the Center for Advanced Social Science Research at NYU, and he's a principal investigator on the General Social Survey. And I, I should say we have two researchers at the top of their field when it comes to researching these trends in religion, and Clarence Boone, who is who is uh, right here on the ground, and he has a, a local uh, congregation, so he can see how it's playing out locally. So very happy to have all three of them here with us today. I wanted to talk about, um, you know, we have this this great division that we have going on in our country today in a lot of different ways, and I, I wonder what role religion has to play in that. Is there a role that it has to play in in has it played a role in furthering the divide or could it play a role in bringing people back together? I know that's a big philosophical question, but and let, me, let me go to Mike Howe first. <laughs> well, well, thanks, Bob. I'm, I'm sure the other two speakers are grateful that I got that uh, question. <laughs> yeah, sorry. It's a, it's a really big, but that's okay. Uh, the, this, this is, um, it, the trends are intertwined uh, in a way that means that it's probably likely that politics has been important for creating this religious trend toward all or nothing at all. But it's also the case that um, the engagement, the greater engagement of churches in politics, both liberal and conservative, have aided and abetted the political polarization. And so um, I, I think that the, the trends are both happening simultaneously, and so it's very difficult to disentangle them. And I think that in people's own minds and actions, for every person who has become more engaged in a local church because of its championing their political cause, there's somebody who has walked away from one. And, uh, and, and so the, the two are inseparable and it's, it's probably not, uh, it's probably a fool's errand to try and untangle them because it's a, it's a, it's a bigger phenomenon about how both are moving together. I, I I could not agree more. I uh, the, these 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 patterns, the polarization, the political polarization, religious polarization are hap happening simultaneously, and 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 are probably mutually reinforcing. I I I totally agree. You know, it reminds me. I started at Pew Research Center back in 2005, um, and at that time, you know, uh, George W. Bush had 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 won re-election in 2004. And when I started at Pew Research Center, I was just getting started in my career, looking into some of these things. Um, a lot of the discussion, a lot of um, observers of American politics and religion, were writing about what they called the Democratic Party's quote unquote, God problem. Um, you know, George W. Bush had won reelection in, in large part, thanks to strong support from religious voters, especially white evangelicals. And so, so observers were asking themselves, um, you know, what does the democratic party have to do to win elections moving forward? And what they, what, what people were suggesting was that, well, they had to peel off some of that religious support from the Republican Party. If the Democratic Party was going to win future elections, they needed to peel off at least some of those white evangelical voters, at least some of those white Catholic voters, uh, if they had any hope of of beating uh, the Republicans. And then, of course, in 2008, Barack Obama won election, won again in 2012. And of course, um, 
in 2020. We have a, another Democratic victory. Uh, so they must have they must have succeeded in that effort to peel off some of those religious voters, right? Uh, wrong. Nothing could be further from the tr- truth. What's happened instead is that both parties have sort of consolidated their support among the, the, the coalitions that were supportive of them to begin with. White evangelical Protestants, white Catholics who were already trending in a Republican direction, you know, 15, 20 years ago, have continued to become even more Republican than they were to begin with. Religiously unaffiliated voters who, again, remember, are growing as a share of the population. They were strongly Democratic to begin with. They've, if anything, grown even more Democratic in, in, in the years since. Uh, Demo- the Democratic Party has also held on to its strong support from key voters like uh, Black Protestant voters, Jewish voters, Hispanic Catholics, other uh, religious voters. Um, so that's just to that's all just to emphasize that, you know, these these the relationships we see between religion on the one hand and politics on the other um, are, are just as strong today as as they have been in the recent past. And, and, and these trends toward polarization in the religious arena and the political arena probably are mutually reinforcing. Clarence Boone, what are you seeing in regard to this? Do you try to keep the, you know, politics out of your congregation? Do you see your your role um, and your pastor's role as helping to mend some of these political fences? Can you give us a sense? I would agree with you. I I think there is a time and place for everything, and I think that politics. Um, should be broached in the, in the church. Um, we don't put our heads in the sand. Um, we have just come through a period of time. You know, we haven't really gone there in this conversation, so I guess I'll leave the way into delicate waters here. But uh, we've just come out of a very, I would say, stressful, trying time. And we are still in the midst of... Um, a lot of unease in our country. Uh, I mean, time of this recording for this show, all you have to do is look at the headlines of what's being discussed and what's in mainstream America right now. And uh, the church cannot be silent nor turn its head uh, to what's going on. What what I'm frustrated about is uh, some of my brothers and sisters and, and other faith-based communities that have grown support around uh, some policies that uh, on the surface under, un, and underlying, uh, if you look under the surface, if you dissect it, they, they clearly um, are not unifying in the message and in the policies. And and I have, you know, there are a lot of, there's a lot of Christian programs that I enjoy watching, um, excellent programs on a lot of the topic matters that really I'm, that I'm passionate about. But when the host began to inject uh, this political philosophy on top of the uh, biblical content that they're sharing with their viewers, it it turns me off. And and then I really have to, as they say, uh, separate the meat from the bone and just try to ignore some of the political messaging that I'm hearing. But in all corners of society, the lightning rods that we've had placed in politics and, and, and all the divisiveness that has occurred over, I'd say, over the last four to five years, yes, it's crept in. It's not only crept into the church, it, it's in some ways moved into the church where you see protesters that are, are making comments and trying to say that, well, yeah, we stand for God so that we do this, that, and the other. And I'm thinking, I don't think Jesus would align with that. But uh, as a nation, yeah, we need to have that discussion that we've never had um, on the lines of race, religion, all the third rail issues, right? Race, religion, and politics. We need to have uh, that conversation. In the Bloomington community, I I belong to a group um, called the Noah's Ark Group, and we did just that, try to broach delicate topics, difficult topics, um, with a lens towards okay, how does religion play into this? Okay, if we look at our backgrounds, how we were brought up, um, can we see where, wow, we may have been shared messages or we may have uh, seen behaviors displayed 
that were not appropriate. Or, you know, let's talk about our thoughts, our feelings, and our beliefs. And we did that. We, we did the heavy work. Uh, and it's not easy. It's not easy. And so, yeah, uh, religion is broad-based. Uh, I think with Paul, they even said, his hope is that we could all say and speak the same thing. But uh, as we see the state of our nation and really the world, uh, we're going to have to come together. I'm glad you brought up that topic, um, Clarence. And I and I it just struck me. I remember doing a story for WFIU about well, it was before the pandemic because I was able to go visit with these people. Um, but it was the pastor at the at the evangelical church, one of the evangelical churches here in Bloomington, and the um, a, a community from the um, Jewish congregation working together on environmental issues they saw common ground there. So uh, um, I, I would ask you, and then I would ask our our other two guests about um, whether any of their research shows that certain, that congregations perhaps are starting to come together and work for, work on common ground issues. So. I, I would agree with that. I, I would think if you'd have to be blind not to see the challenges in our community in Bloomington, when I drive to work or when you drive to work, how many homeless or displaced people do you pass? How many panhandlers do you pass? How many people who need, obviously need mental health do you pass? Um, and then our youth in our particular uh, churches. Our churches is probably not unique or different than any other church that's experiencing the same problem. Our youth are being distracted and, and they're being lured out Um Peer pressure is not the same as when we were going to school. And that's true. We, we oftentimes say, oh, it's tougher now than we were younger. Well, it, there's some truth to that. And I think my, my good friends, the scholars, will bear that out. The things they're hit with at an earlier age, but the message of the church, and we have to be relevant to, to not only counteract, but to provide an answer, to provide Christ in a way where they can see, well, yeah, Christ is relevant in my life. Um, so, I mean, from entertainment to fashion to music to just the casualness of something that should not be casual. We, we have our plate full, and so churches need to, yes, come together um, and, and set aside, you know, differences, be it political or, or be it doctrinal even, and, and that's a taboo word, but to come together and to try to tackle these problems because in the final analysis, we have been the revered entity through the, through the ages. Well, not ages, but, but through, the, through the decades. People look to the church, and, we, and our light needs to start shining brighter. Mike and Greg, are, are, are there, is there any research you can point to that would show that different denominations, different faith groups are starting to come together to work on, on common issues, or are we just becoming more divided? I'm stronger on the past than I am on right up to the minute, but I'm, I would note that uh, I want to emphasize uh, something Reverend Boone pointed to, and that is the historic role that the churches have had first with civil rights. And then, you know, in the 80s and 90s, if, if, if we were in a, doing this show in 1988 or 1994, uh, we, we'd have crime on our minds. And research by uh, Pat Sharkey, a sociologist uh, at NYU at the time, uh, is now at Princeton, uh, showed that the, the crime, the declining crime from 1994 until right before the pandemic was in part um, a, a policing story, but in a much bigger part of community story where churches and other community organizations at a very localized level um, mobilized themselves to tackle the, pro the problem and issue of crime on their streets and made everybody safer by reducing not just violent crime, but petty crime. Uh, a lot of it got ascribed to um, policing practices like stop and frisk, but Sharkey contradicts that and says it was community organizations that were the key to turning the tide on high crime in America. 
And I think there's a, an enormously valuable lesson there for addressing other issues from the climate uh, to the social isolation that we feel because of the pandemic. And can you talk a little bit about whether the divides we're seeing, we have been talking about divide for a little bit now, but if the divide we're seeing is between the religious and non-religious groups, or if it's between more different religious groups? Uh, well, uh, I, I, just a couple of thoughts about that. Um, uh, it's quite interesting. I think, so a couple of thoughts occur to me. So, so number one, I think when we talk about American politics, this is probably stating the obvious, but, but it's worth getting it on the table. Um, you know, when we talk about American politics, there's just no escaping. There's no overstating the importance of race as a factor in American politics and the way Americans approach politics, political decision making, whether we're talking about um, patterns of presidential voting. The, the race factor is just inescapable. Um, so if we start from there, what we see is that among white Americans – there is a very clear divide between religious people and non-religious people. Um, white Americans who are who are deeply religious, who attend religious services regularly, who say they identify with a with a religious group, they are on average quite Republican. They vote for Republican presidential candidates. They identify with or lean toward the Republican Party. That's a Republican group. At the other end of the spectrum, white Americans who are not religious, which is a big and growing group, they are quite socially liberal and democratic in the way they approach politics. And so, uh, yes, I think among white Americans, you can say there is a divide, a political divide between those who are religious on the one hand and those who aren't religious on the other. However, um, I don't think you can carry that over um, uh, when we think about black Americans or Hispanic Americans or others. Um, we know that on average, black Americans and Hispanic Americans are, are quite religiously observant, very religiously devout. Most of them identify as Christians, and they are strongly democratic in the way they approach their politics. Um, and and so within the Democratic Party, you have this interesting coalition um, where you've got a lot of white Democrats who are on average not particularly religious, doesn't mean they're exceptions, uh, but but on average, they are not particularly religious, combined with a big coalition of black voters, Hispanic voters, others who are very religious. And that and I think you can see that sometimes can at least has the potential to create some tension within the Democratic Party. So it's not as easy as saying uh, the, the political divides we see pit religious people against non-religious people. You might be able to make that generalization if you're talking specifically about white people, but not if you're talking about the population as a whole. Lawrence, do you have any reaction to that? Uh, I would agree. I would agree with um, our, our learned scholar. Um, it's yeah. I, I think it echoes back to what I said earlier. Uh, the patterns and trends have uh, typically been that uh, the evangelicals. Uh, were primarily conservative in their political uh, leanings. Um, those who who have um, those who have who have suffered in America in different times and have have um, really had to fight for basic rights and freedoms. I, I believe, to my heart and core, tend to be more liberal leaning or more independent even leading. It's not that everyone who's liberal embraces everything that's progressive or liberal. There are some who lean perhaps maybe middle of the road towards independence. I don't want to label everyone, but um, yeah, overall the trend I would say would, would, um, would bear out that most of those individuals are liberal in their leaning. I, I think that when you get to the bigger question, how do we resolve or begin to solve all this, and I have to be open discussion. Uh, I really do like the idea of a town hall meeting. Uh, and, and I know, know normally that when we have our general elections, you, you tend to see more town hall meetings or when someone's coming up. And um, 
perhaps a primary race, you tend to see this concept of the town hall meeting, but now that turns into a town hall rally. But a town hall meetings with independent thought and, and really good debate, I think is a good start just to understanding one another. But all again, you know, hey, yeah, let's get this understanding of who we are. Everyone doesn't come from the same background, experience or, or life experiences as everyone else. But, but religion, when you come into a, a body of worshipers, uh, it does even the playing ground quite a bit. Uh, and that's remarkable. That's fascinating. I think it's the power of our Lord. So that is my conviction. Uh, and I really think that, um, you know, mutual, peaceful, peace, peaceful, civil discourse is always the best way to go. All right, we have just two minutes to go, and, and Mike Howard, I want to turn to you next because you've been watching this survey, the General Social Survey, since 1984. You know, we, we've had lots of years of this, and we've talked about a lot of things today, but what have we missed? Have we missed anything in terms of, uh, or anything that you want to mention in terms of what the survey has showed us, what we've learned from it um, that uh, our listeners ought to know about? Well, I think the one thing that's worth pointing out is that um, we have short-term spurts of either conservative. I'm here. I'm quoting Jim Davis, who who was the founder of the General Social Survey back in 1972. He said, "We have spurts of conservative weather followed by spurts of liberal weather followed by a re you know repeating that cycle." But um, overall, America's political climate is liberal in a very broad sense, uh, 20th century sense of liberal in that it, it, it's moving in the direction of including more and more people. The big trend toward acceptance of sexual minorities has been important for American society. And frankly, the upsurge of interest in, if not full embrace of Black Lives Matter, I think is uh, is the next step as well. Um, and uh, uh, a, a piece I've recently published showed that actually white liberals at least are giving up on racial resentments that had been prevalent even among white liberals for uh, as long as they, as we had measures of them. But after Ferguson or after the election of Obama, and it's impossible to tell which was more important, um, white liberals started to move toward a more inclusive uh, view of, uh, of, of American society. And, and it, it, that liberalizing climate, I think, is, is a hopeful space, not for any specific liberal policy. I'm not advocating for that. But what I'm saying is that that notion that inclusion is important. And, uh, and maybe we can then add uh, Reverend Boone's point about civil discourse uh, as well as an additional point. All right, Greg Smith, 15 seconds. We're about out of time. I don't have a lot to add. I think it's been a fascinating discussion. I appreciate you having me. Um, a lot happening in the U.S. religious landscape. Lots to lots to think about, lots to follow. All right. Thank you, Greg Smith from the Pew Research Institute. Also, Clarence Boone from Lighthouse Community Church and Michael Hout from NYU. For producer and co-host Benton Boutier, producer Holden Abshear, engineer John Bailey. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening to Noon Edition. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Integrity First Insurance, provider of Erie Insurance for all your auto, home, life, and business insurance needs. More information at 812-269-8897 or integrityfirstinsuranceservices.com.